This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. Woo -woo! This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. We're happy to bring you in uh, this evening. Uh, that's uh, when we're recording, but you could be listening at any time, morning, noon, or night. Uh, as always, thank you for checking us out. Uh, tonight, it is a two-man show. It's myself and everyone's favorite Welshman, Lee Fans. Lee, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, sir. I'm happy to be here at Duopod. Let's, yes. get it. Let's, let's do it. Absolutely. Let's dive right in. And let's start with uh, the most recent competitive action we've had in South Florida, which is the UPSL final. We talked about it a little bit in the last podcast, kind of a preview. Uh, now we're in review territory, a really uh, fascinating uh, national tournament we got down here at Barry University. Lee, you were on the call uh, uh, for the UPSL, getting a chance to see the semifinals and the final. Uh, I want to dive into some of the uh, more specifics in just a minute, but the, the big takeaways you take away from the tournament, uh, what'd you see? What'd you like? It was a really good couple of days, Matt. Um, I was really happy when I found out that the, the, the UPSL national finals were going to be in Miami. Uh, it was a real shame that we didn't get sort of a local team playing in it, but it really didn't matter. The four teams that came along, Santa Ana wins, Foro Soccer Club, uh, Maryland Bobcats and Soda City FC put on a really, really good show. It was a, it was a really, really high standard of football. And, um, you know, we had two games, the semifinals on the Saturday and a quick turnaround for the final um, on the Sunday. Um, it was really good fun uh, being on the call as well. That happened quite last minute because obviously they, uh, they they brought in a broadcaster to do English and Spanish, which I thought was a, was a nice touch and good on the UPSL for doing that so you could follow in both languages. But it was a real interesting contrast of teams from around the country. And uh, I think that was one of the most interesting things about it. Uh, we're obviously insulated here in South Florida and we have, you know, the Latin and the Caribbean flair down here. It was interesting to see what uh, what teams from other parts of the country, what they bring to the table. It was really good, man. Uh, yeah, it was really great. I, I have to admit I am a, 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 a bit biased, as I mentioned in the preview. Uh, as we were talking about uh -huh. this competition, the fact that there was a Maryland team competing and no Miami or South Florida based team competing uh, gave me a rooting interest. And it was really great to see the Maryland Bobcats uh, lift that trophy on Sunday at Buccaneer Field. And especially because it was a great game. It was mm -hmm. a lot of fun to watch. I wasn't able to make it out to Buccaneer Field, but I was able to watch your broadcast. It was delightful as always. <laughs> um Always good to hear your voice behind the microphone. And, um, the, yeah, the game was great. You know, just in terms of volume, the, uh, you know, the getting extra time uh, so frequently in, in the tournament is great. And especially when you're talking about knockout cup competition, there's always that tension. There's always that fear that sometimes seeps in. And I don't really think we saw that. I think we saw some really... Uh, we saw teams going for it. We saw teams that were going for wins. And ultimately, Maryland Bobcats were most rewarded for that approach. Yeah, and uh, I had a, such good fun calling it, and it is all on MyQG. And obviously, the great thing about MyQG is that if you miss the games, you can go back and watch them. 
and you can click on the highlights, you know, just go and search for the teams involved. Um, but it, the Maryland Bobcats did so well, but they were they were out of their semi-final quite early on because they went 2-0 down to Soda City FC and had to come back the hard way and won it 3-2. That semi-final, the Maryland Bobcats versus Soda City uh, semi-final, was a real thriller. Um, and then the final, yeah, against Santa Rana wins. Santa Rana had gone the distance with um, uh, with their opponents, uh, 4-0 Soccer Club, in the, in the other semi-final. They went to uh, 120 minutes and had to go to penalties, and they came to the penalty shootout. Their keeper, the Santa Rana keeper, played a blinder, saved two penalties. And, uh, yeah, Matt, I think I worked harder than any of the players because I had to do two games that went into <laughs> extra time. I was stuck in, like, those Ricola suites and everything. Like, nice shout-out for Ricola. Put me up. Um, yeah, I had to do three games, in two ga- uh, three games in two days, but it was a big ask for those players to play two high-quality games within the space of, like, you know, 24 hours, essentially. And, you know, it's 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 amateur soccer. Like, just like they're enthusiasts. They do it for the love of the game, Matt, like me and you, me and you doing this now and everything that Magic City Soccer does. So th- there's no other way they could do it. They had to play one game on Saturday, one game on Sunday. And actually, when I went on the field at the final whistle, I spoke to the Maryland Bobcats. He was the, the manager or the general manager. And I was like, oh, you're in the right city to celebrate this win, go out on South Beach tonight. And he's like, nope. We could shower and straight to the airport and straight back home to uh, Montgomery County in uh, in, <laughs> in Maryland. It was the realities of lower league football. But yeah, man, that's that Soda City. Soda City were up and looking comfortable, and then bam, they just got like sucker punched before half time. And then another goal the other side of half time, two two, and then um, the Bobcats, who were a exciting attacking team, as you say, to watch. They had some great players going forward, and it's like bam, bam, bam. Couple of passes. They had this player called Elton Joe, who we dubbed the Rocket Man for yes. obvious reasons. And once he, he he did not tire the whole weekend. And once he, they got balls over the top and him running onto them, it was you know it was uh, it, it was very very exciting to watch. It was such a good tournament, and um, I'm sure we'll have to wait until it comes back down here again. But I hope it does come back down here again soon. Yeah, the, uh, in particular, moment that sticks out for me is, I believe, Elton, did Elton Joe score the game winner or the third goal in the final? Because he had a brace, am I correct? He did have a brace, yeah, he did have a brace. That um, second goal that he had was was really great. Like you said, ball kind of coming over the top, being able to control the way he did and, and to finish it uh, was really spectacular. And again, seeing, seeing the name. Um, <laughs> pop up there, Elton Joe with the with the goal, just fantastic. It, it was a very like the best of lower level soccer to me. It was was what we saw in that final. Super competitive, players wanting to win for the sake of winning. You know, there was money behind it. Mm-hmm. There was a prize pot to be had, but you come all this way, you play all this long, you just want to win the damn game more than anything <laughs> else, I think. And and again, it's not to take anything away from Santa Ana or either one of the teams, but uh, it was it was just really cool to see that those two teams in the final really go go full at it and get into extra time and. and I think a deserving team won, and I think the UPSL should be very pleased with the product that it put out on the field and in terms of, you know, uh, internet outreach and and being able to get its product out into the larger marketplace. I, th- I think it was a win-win for the players and for the league. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to talk a little bit about the other teams, there was a little local link with um, Foro Soccer Club, who were from Dallas, Texas. They were coached by a former Miami FC player, Michelle. Um 
we were looking at the pictures, the TV. We had a, I had the luxury of a monitor and replays and stuff. And uh, Felipe, who was with me, was like, Lee, that guy looks familiar. And he's got a pretty, you know, he's got a pretty... Uh, Definite distinctive look. look distinctive look thank you man yes and so i had him on the wikipedia and like the name matched up and everything's like yeah yeah it was the same michelle <laughs> who played in the nas the last nasl season for miami fc um i did develop a little soft spot for santorana wins because i like the football that they played they were very technical they like to pass it around and i think that might have been their undoing in places i think they should could have maybe mixed it up a little bit they had a, a good old-fashioned number nine. Um, I think it was John Gorman. Definitely the last name was Gorman. And so you know, he would sort of hold up the ball and it would bring in all these great technical attacking midfielders they got in. There was a great player, Adrian Becerra, on that team. And they played some really good football, but they just lacked that killer instinct, that little cutting-edge map that we talked about with, uh, with some of the other teams. And uh, they were a bit too patient. And I think that... You know that that extra time semi final maybe did for them, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a great uh, great occasion, and I had a little chance to talk to the uh, commissioner of the UPSL, uh, Jan Squara, um, after the, the the final, and he gave us a, a, a few thoughts about. Uh, the occasion and what's coming up for the UPSL. I'm here with Jan Squara, Commissioner of the UPSL. Jan, you just handed the trophy over to the Maryland Bobcats. Um, how's it been for you down in Miami? You know, we've had a great time down here. Um, it's been a, it's been a tremendous weekend for the final four of the UPSL. You know, fall season uh, championship, and uh, you know the the best the, the best four teams made it down here: Santa Ana, Win, Soda City, uh, Foros out of Dallas, and uh, obviously the Maryland Bobcats. Cats. And you know the, the the score. The games were all tight. The scores reflect that. And obviously, at the end, you know the best team won. So that's how championships are are done. And uh, we're really happy that you know it all it all kind of shaked out the way it did. The best team won, and it was a great final. Uh, couldn't be happier. I was very interested. We had the presentation for some of the local teams for the Division One and Division Two championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a little bit of pro rel going here. Um, that was always a target for this league, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're we're really big believers of pro rel. It's one thing talking about it, but it's one thing doing it. And and we're doing it. Uh, it takes time. It's not an overnight process. Um, you know, there's always going to be the critics, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, you can't you can't argue with execution. So we're going to continue to execute and. Uh, you know, our goal is to blanket the U.S. with with UPSL teams in the respective divisions, so that you know they can they can battle it out uh, like they do in the rest of the world. Great. And um, going back in, uh, into the UPSL, any plans for uh, coming up? Anything in the pipeline that maybe uh, we might know about? You know, I think 2020 is going to be a very special year. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of upgrades in our system, uh, organizationally, management. Uh, as a league, uh, you know we've grown a lot, but we're kind of past the point of, you know, we're gonna we're gonna continue to grow. That's that's a given, but it's it's about uh, quality and uh, quality within our organization as a league. I think is is a high priority right now. So uh, I think we're gonna continue to deliver uh, uh, some nice gifts over the course of this year, and, and we'll make announcements along the way. You know, to let to let the uh, soccer community know what what our plans are. But we're, we're we're very excited and uh you know we just think that we're scratching the surface uh with with where we are as a league and you know basically this is our our 10th 11th year as a league we're still young but we have a nice framework and uh, we're gonna we're gonna take advantage of that well we've been big fans of the upsl down here in miami at magic city soccer and we very much appreciate you bringing the championship to miami it's been a pleasure to have you here thank you for your time yeah thank you thank you
thank you again uh, to UPSL Commissioner Jan Squara for uh, speaking with Lee. Lee, that was a great conversation uh, you were able to have there. And uh, congrats to the Maryland Bobcats, the champions, and congrats to the league for a, a really good show down here. Again, we love our lower level soccer here yeah, at just, Magic City Soccer. Matt, before we move on, yeah, the, the Maryland Bobcats, just one more little shout out for me. They were a very good organization, very accessible. They had a little, uh, they had uh, a guy called Evan who was sort of their communications director. And uh, they've got ambition, and I think they're building that up the right way. Yeah, they're they're a great team. That's that's really good to hear. Uh, there's a, you know Maryland is another hotbed of uh, lower level soccer. We've heard you know about Christos uh, and their run in mm-hmm. the Open Cup a few years ago. It's it's a uh, Maryland is a state that supports soccer. I know growing up, uh, you know there there was a, definitely a, a desire for it, and I would not be surprised to see uh, outreach from. Uh, USL and potentially other leagues to a city like Baltimore. DC United obviously uh, meets some of the needs of the market, but I think there's there's more there. The Baltimore Blast have been a successful indoor team for 30 years now. So, um, nice. Yeah, Maryland on the come up. Uh, bringing it back more locally and, and going up a few steps in the pyramid. Let's talk about Inter-Miami. Uh, obviously, the eyes, the ears, the all the, the senses of the soccer world, I think, uh, in this part of the world, including, you know, North and Central America are on Inter Miami. And the big news for the club over the last couple of days uh, is the announcement of Rodolfo Pizarro joining Inter Miami as a designated player. That is DP number two mm. uh, for the squad. Um, careful. Watch yourself now. Um <laughs> So Pizarro comes in. Um, the The announcement had been made uh, a few days before in Mexico. It was known that he was coming to it was, Miami. It was the worst kept secret ever, wasn't it, Matt? <laughs> yes, it was. It was not exactly news, and we've actually seen a couple of these uh, kinds of announcements from Inter Miami that you know they they seem to be the last to share. And of course, there are eyes that need to be dotted and T's that need to be t- uh, crossed on contracts and things like that. But it is funny to see. You know, clubs elsewhere confirming uh, a signing before the uh, club that's going to get the players confirming it. Um, so Pizarro comes in um, again, answering one of the two big, big, big questions for this club before kickoff of the inaugural season is who the designated players are going to be. Um Lee, this is a significant player uh, in terms of awareness in this part of the world. Not the European player that people have an eye on, but uh, Inter-Miami really appear to be going for that Central and South American approach, building a side that is going to compete for MLS playoff position and the MLS Cup. Yes, and it was a move they needed to make, Matt, because I looked at this squad and and I I kept saying to myself, these guys have got no number 10. They've got no number 10. They've got a good squad and they've got like a squad that can do things in this league. But they they were lacking that number 10, you know, that, that, that attacking midfielder who can pop up in areas with assists, a crafty player. And I think that they've done a good bit of business here. The guy can play. And um, you've seen what he's won in Mexico. And if he's been a winner in Mexico, there's absolutely no reason that he can't be a winner in the United States of America. You know, he knows the coach, obviously, and, and he's going to get on with him. And it's obviously a player the coach can trust. And these these are all important things. And, OK, he's, he's not a big European name. But at this stage, it doesn't matter because people have bought their season tickets. People are going to come. There's going to be that, like, wow factor for it anyway. They, they needed that player in that role who was going to get the job done. 
And on the evidence that I've seen, and obviously on the evidence that Paul McDonough and the staff at my, in, in Miami have seen, uh, they found that guy. Uh, it was a little late in the day, but uh, it looks like good business to me. And I think he, they did play a friendly, didn't they, Matt, at the weekend? And I think he did get the only Miami goal in that friendly, but barely after coming off the bench. So, yes. um, so I think, you know, it looks like it's going to be a mutually beneficial move because I think for Pizarro's part, he's probably thinking, you know, I'm 26. I've never played in Europe. This is a chance for me to have one or two seasons in, in MLS. And if I do well, like, you know, Miguel Almiron did well, maybe I can get my my shot in Europe and see if I can have two or three seasons over there. And I don't think there is anything wrong with that. If he's if he views it as a stepping stone, which I've seen in a couple of the media outlets, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And for Inter Miami's part, they've nailed down a quality player in a key position, and they can be happy with that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I think, especially with the news um, uh, coming out recently, coming out this week, or actually, I guess I should say late last week, that uh, Julian Carranza was going to be out for for months, going to be out for it looks two to three months uh, with a foot injury. The the attacking approach that this team wants to take in terms of young, aggressive, forward thinking attacking play needed to be reinforced, and really it needed to be reinforced anyway, but especially uh, with that news. Um, I thought it was interesting. I want to give two tips of the hat for some some more in-depth in- information about what's going through Paul McDonough's mind. Uh, Jorge Ramos, uh, Isubanda, uh, had a sit-down with Paul McDonough earlier today, and uh, Chris Whittingham uh, was able to kind of... Uh, Check it out for us and, and give a nice summary. We like Chris. He's been a, a, on the podcast before with us. Uh, you know, soccer guy down here, one of us. Um, he uh, McDonough told Jorge Ramos that he was always looking uh, to bring in another designated player for that kind of attacking midfielder position. Um, and that was a natural fit. He also mentioned, which I thought was very interesting for the first time, confirming that the club had conversations with Edison Cavani. Um but Cavani having an opportunity in Champions League wanted to kind of let that play out. So he was out. They also spoke with Roger Martinez, who was another one of these names that was being bandied about um, as a designated player. Couldn't agree on terms, walked away from it. Um, and I, I think that really tells you that he is getting really close to being done, really close to being. He's, yeah. he's putting these final pieces into place. And that third designated spot, he has said he does not look to use it uh, in the summer. Uh, He does not look to bring in a player during the summer window and kind of throw them in at the very end of things. Um, I think that as we get closer and closer to uh, kickoff, as we get closer and closer to the beginning of the season, uh, I think think the business is kind of coming to a close here and we have a really good idea of what this team is going to wind up looking like. Yeah, I think so, Matt. Um, And it's interesting now looking at the forward options, I think, like, Pizarro will be the number 10 but who's going to lead the line like you say um, if Carranza is injured and I think um, Agadello limped out of that friendly at half time as well so this opens the door for one Jerome uh, Kizaveta, um who would now be looking at like I'm probably going to be starting up front for Inter Miami in their inaugural game and I maybe was not expecting to be doing that yeah. Um, well, you, and you know the the guy is as he's had European experience, and he's he, he banged some goals in in the USL in 2019, and goal scoring is a habit as long as you're in that habit. Um, so 
there's a little bit of a little bit of an opportunity for he, he's sort of flown under the radar a little bit, Matt. Not a lot of people have been talking about him, but uh, but it's he may well be leading the line now for for Inter Miami going into these opening games. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as we hear more reports uh, out of these uh, preseason matches, as we see a little bit more out of these preseason matches, and as we get closer to kickoff of the season, what uh, Diego Alonso finally decides to roll out in terms of that attacking front, because we have heard, though I would say the one consistent thing we have heard over and over and over again from ownership to sporting director through the coach is attacking play. It's going to be attacking aggressive play. That is key to the ownership's vision of the club. That's key to success for the sporting director. And that's key to what everyone has said is important to attracting and maintaining the fan base. Is that it, it's got to be aggressive. It's got to be forward thinking. And so plugging these pieces in together and making them work is kind of the most important thing they're going to do this first season. Uh, you know, if, if they get attacking play and the team wins two games, obviously that doesn't matter. But, you know, if they lose every game six to four, it, yeah. it's not really going to work. But that's unrealistic. You know, if they actually get an attack that's cohesive, they could win some games. And they, I think they have the pieces to win some games and get in the playoffs. I think that's a real possibility. You know, if you look at 538, and I know it's just a bunch of number crunching, but they're very bullish on Inter-Miami making the MLS Cup playoffs in their first season. Uh, it's a real possibility for them. Um, so... How's that going to shake out? It, it's as much about chemistry as it is plugging pieces in. How is that chemistry going to work? Uh, specifically, again, dealing with the Carranza injury um, and kind of figuring out how to adapt now, bringing in that uh, player that you maybe didn't anticipate having uh, a possibility of starting a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. How is that all going to shake out? I think, I think obviously, he, in this friendly, he's gone for a five-man midfield. Um, and I the, the, the centre forward is possibly not the most important piece of the puzzle. But, uh, yeah, it, it would be interesting to see who's going to... I think that's the most interesting thing for me is like a, watching from afar, who's, who's going to start up front now. Um, and I think it might be... I think it might be Jerome. That would be fun to see. That would be very interesting. So, um, Inter-Miami, obviously, with any news on the field... Uh, there's always news off the field as well. And, and there are two important stories, I think, worth discussing briefly. Um, the first is ticket sales. And that has been uh, something that plenty of people have had their eye on. Um, will this succeed with all the delays and all the interruptions and all the, oh, it's going to happen, it's not going to happen, will it, won't it? It's like Ross and Rachel. Are they going to yeah. get together or not? Um it finally happens in Broward, and people were wondering how that might ex might in impact ticket sales, considering what we know of MLS in Broward County uh, previously, where it did sell tickets. You know, uh, average of about eleven thousand fans in its in Miami Fusion's last season up at the old Lockhart Stadium, um, at Lockhart Stadium, I should say, because this is not going to be named Lockhart Stadium, um, but. The question was, how many season tickets are being purchased? Will people go and will people consistently go? And the club had been very quiet about ticket sales and not really mentioned what, uh, much. That changed today, and it changed today with two really important pieces of information. First off, the first game at uh, the new home of Inter-Miami, um, 
the new, new, it's not Lockhart Stadium, but let's just call it that to keep things simple. That new Lockhart Stadium sold out. Sold out, made up both of season ticket sales and sold out based on individual ticket sales made available yesterday. Not a huge surprise. If that game wasn't sold out, it's a five alarm fire. We got a huge problem. I think the more significant news, Lee, is what was included in the uh, the tweet that the club uh, shared later in the day. Um, once they announced the sellout, that there were less than a thousand season tickets remaining for the inaugural season. I think that's newsworthy. And I think that it does open up the criticisms of, well, oh, Nashville SC has 20,000 season ticket deposits or whatever. You know, Charlotte has blah, blah, blah. But if they're getting pretty damn close to sell out on season tickets, which it appears they are, and they're just dealing with an inventory of individual game tickets, which is minimal, especially considering the stadium is not that large. Um, I don't think it's reasonable to think those season tickets are gone by the f- the kickoff of the home opener. And if that's the case, I think it's a huge win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we are obviously not party to the inner workings of uh, in Miami, but you don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm the one person on this podcast probably that doesn't always have their uh, rose and their tinted spectacles on. You, know, <laughs> you don't know. Like selling out season tickets is one thing. How many season tickets were made available for sale is another. Um, I the single game tickets are also like a, a you know they're, they're profitable, so they're going to want to keep some of those back. Um, but you know, I'm possibly being a bit harsh there. I mean, the fact is that they only have to sell eighteen thousand tickets for these games, and even if they are, you know, a bit pricey for single game tickets, I think they've probably sold enough season tickets to get them up and running, and there's going to be enough interest to get people through the gates of I can't, I can't, I can't call the stadium in Miami Stadium. I can't call it by the, that name. I just feel <laughs> right. But that, the, the attendance, Matt, isn't going to be a problem. Like, we all know this. Like every, like you say, I mean, Matt, you, you're going to go to this first game. Like you, You're a season ticket holder. You don't mind me breaking that news, do you? No, no, of course not. I, I have held season tickets for every professional team that has existed in this market uh, over the last decade. So, Miami FC, Miami United. Um, and and now enter Miami. Yeah, I, I I'm going to be there for that first game for sure. So it's, I'm gonna, how the turntables have turned. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to the house. Like so, you you must be you must be you must be excited about it. You must be excited about that first game that's coming up in weeks days. Uh yeah, uh I I very much am, and and I think there are two main reasons why. First, I am I as I've mentioned before, I am a student of sports history in this town um i I am interested when big things happen uh when i get a chance i was at the first game of marlins park lord knows that was loaded with controversy but i was there i was there for the all-star game at marlins park um i was there for the first game at the renovated hard rock i like to be at these events because i to me they're not only sporting events which is also great i go to plenty of other non like significant games too um but I feel like sports as marker of time and evolution within a city uh, is really interesting to follow. And and I'm a big sucker for, you know, little the ticket stubs and the programs and all those things. I'm, you know, I I love that. But to me, I think there is no matter how you think all this is shaken out and it has been a 20 year odyssey of which I was not part of it for at the very beginning. I moved here in 2005. The fusion had been gone for four years by that point, but 
just the idea that there's going to be Major League Soccer in South Florida, I think excitement, whether you think that this has been a successful venture or not, whether you're optimistic or pessimistic about the long-term prospects, whatever, it, it is monumental. It, it is significant for South Florida soccer. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm super jazzed. I, I, I think it's going to be a really fun time. I think this first season is going to be fun um, and interesting. And yeah, I, I think it, it, you know, it's going to be their job to keep well, no, no, let me and stop expand. You, let, me stop you there, sure. let me stop you there because you, you just answered the question for us because the majority of people are going to think like you. And again, obviously not everyone lives on Twitter and everything and neither do I, but you know, I've, I've had debates on Twitter. It's like people are like, Oh, I want to support all South Florida's teams. And I realize I'm in the minority there. And I realize people are excited about major league soccer. And again, I'm in the minority that I, you know, I don't like what it does for soccer in this country. I think it has huge flaws, but all that doesn't really matter when it just comes to someone who just wants to go and watch a game of soccer on their terms. And the majority of people, Matt, are going to hold exactly the same viewpoint that you do. I think this is this is a this is a major league soccer team in South Florida. Like you know, take my money. Like I don't care. It's like yes, blank check. Give me my season ticket. So yeah. I think that you know that it's not going to be an issue getting people into that stadium. You know, that everyone's going to be excited like you are. Well, most people are going to be excited like you are. I'm not. <laughs> Flight nineteen aren't. But then that's what makes we need a diverse scene, and that's the point I've been making. You know, you need teams at different levels and everything. We don't want one blob on top. But I'm not going to go into detail on that again. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, people are happy about it. Good. I'm glad people are happy about soccer. Yeah. And I think ultimately this, uh, it, it's, it's a bookmark. Like it's, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a chapter opening yeah. in, in the history of the sport down here. And the history of the sport in South Florida has had such a, it's been a fight. It's been a fight for decades it has been a fight for a long time and even when you think there's a bit of momentum developing something else comes along and kicks dirt in the face of it and this is not just about inter miami again this this goes back to the the 1960s and 70s with the development of the original nasl and the miami gatos and the miami toros and and trying to gain traction there and basically the the ownership giving up on Miami just as the first soccer boom hits and Fort Lauderdale gets to enjoy the spoils um so like this, this, it's not very often that in our market we can look at the big picture now again we appreciate the lower market the the, lo- the lower levels of the sport and and the small market teams and they do a great service for soccer down here and it too often gets ignored but it is nice to be part of the story and it not be like, oh, there goes Miami. It's it's a big screw up again. I almost said something else. Mm-hmm. It's it's nice that they're going to be playing and, and it, that's enough. That to, to me, if it was 11, 18 year olds kicking the ball out on that field, losing by 20, that's enough for now. Expectations will get ramped up and, and fans should expect Victories. Fans should expect a winning team based on the resources and the promises that have been made. My expectations are different. My expectations come from a historical perspective of understanding this sport in this market. They roll that ball out on that field and blow the whistle. That's a win. For this mm-hmm. season, for me, that's a win. I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. Can't disagree with you. 
And and again, once that first season's in the books, now now we that's ratchet up the pressure. That's when and, it starts, mate. Yep, that's when it yes, starts. That's when the real questions are going to get asked. But you know, you mentioned rose-colored glasses. Rose negra tinted spectacles. Yes, perfect. Um, I do, uh, unquestionably. And, and I would also venture to say that I, I have the same when looking at a Miami FC or looking at a, you know, Miami United, because I want them to do well. I want all of this to do well. And again, it kind of are different perspectives on that one club approach versus kind of the uh, the rainbow coalition approach, uh, if you will. Um, yeah, I, you know, I wrap this up by saying go Miami FC, go my inner Miami, go Miami United, go Miami soccer to, to me, there's more soccer. That's enough for now. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to Paul McDonough. We'll come back to David Beckham and Jorge Mas and, and we'll really start putting some pressure on them. Uh, once we've started playing and we've seen some results, but that first game, I, being there is enough. Being in that stadium is enough. Well, Matt, what you, uh, having said all that, then what what do you think of the uh, rumored sponsorship? And and now the we can remove the glasses for a second <laughs> and talk about a much more complicated issue. Um, now, uh, I I do want to mention first and foremost. We should explain this first, maybe just in case. Yes, that might be beneficial. Um, the the scuttlebutt has been for weeks that Qatar Airways was going to be. A, the, I would say the major sponsor of Inter Miami CF, uh, including a brand partnership with David Beckham. Basically, that this would is kind of a double dip for Qatar Airways, um, sponsoring both the club and Beckham himself, and Beckham would be involved in promotions for Qatar Airways, things like that. Um, so this has not yet been confirmed by the club. But uh, it has gotten, uh, I think, far enough down the road that we can reasonably expect that it's the case. Um, you know, Miami Herald is speculating on it. Reports from the Sun Sentinel. These are these are local reporters, plugged in folks that would know. And there's also been some uh, some images online of Qatar Airways being um, on the shirt on the Inner Miami shirt. Now, um, it is important to first point out that this is a much larger geopolitical question that is complex because geopolitics is hard. And especially when we look at the Middle East. But uh, as Billy Corbin, who we've referenced before on this show, um, as a vehement uh, opponent of the Mel Reese development and generally kind of an opponent of soccer because of that deal. I, I don't want to put him as a, an opponent of soccer, but the deal has certainly put a negative tone on his entire view towards Inter Miami. Um, you know, the hashtag bend over for Beckham. Uh, that's one of his specials. Um, so him pointing out that Qatar um, has a, a very complex relationship with issues like LGBTQ rights, with workers' rights in relation to its 2020 World Cup, um, it, with its relationship with Cuba and and, and the, the geopolitical relationship it has with Cuba. I think there are a lot more questions to come out about this. And, and I want to point to another area in the sports world recently where I think there might be some parallels to draw. And that is the current scandal engulfing the Houston Astros in baseball with their uh, their sign-stealing electronic thing. Ooh, that where, sounds exciting. I'll have to read up on that. 
Oh man, you are hit. baseball is back, baby. Oh. It is exciting, and the players are calling each other out, and they want to get in fights. Um, it's I am a fan of baseball. I'm a fan of pretty much every sport, um, but I'm, a, I'm baseball is my original sport when I was a kid, and I've seen it kind of wither over the last twenty years, and I feel like. There's juice going into the season because I feel like there's going to be an enormous conflagration between the Astros and, and some other team. But uh, basically, th- there was a scandal with cheating. The general manager and the manager were banned from the sport for a year and let go. And uh-huh. the commissioner thought that this was going to handle it. We're just going to get out in front of it, do this big thing, and that's it. And then people started talking about it and people started looking into it further and other players started talking about it and outside figures started talking about it. And it has become basically a month long scandal that shows no signs of stopping. It has consumed the sport. Um, oh, I thought it, was a, it sounded more exciting. I thought they were like stealing each other's signs or something like that. It's like a turf war. Oh no! It's it. They're you know they're it's just basically cheating. They're they, oh, okay. the yeah the Astros were cheating uh, and got caught and had a pretty complicated uh, you know system to do it. But anyway, my point is is that the commissioner thought like, oh, hey, we're gonna just do this and put on a big show about it and it's gonna be done. And it very much wasn't done. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and kind of consumed him and the team and the whole sport. Um, I think that if Inter Miami proceeds with this and puts Qatar Airways on the front of that shirt. There are just going to be more questions asked. There are just going to be more people getting involved. There are going to be more political figures in Miami-Dade County and in Broward County getting out in front of this. And you can see it already. You've seen, you've seen mention from uh, Fort Lauderdale City Commissioners kind of questioning whether that's the kind of name they would want to see on the side of that stadium. Um, this, this if, if they think that this is going to go over well and quickly, I think they're mistaken. Uh, and and uh, it's not to say that they necessarily have to rip this deal up or look in another direction because I don't think they're going to do that. I think the printing presses are running on, you know, uh, b- press handouts and shirts and things like that. But I don't think this is something that's going to go down very easy. I think it's going it, to it is a complicating factor for them in South Florida, in particular in South Florida, particularly in Broward and Palm Beach counties. Um, and, and again, folding in the issues related specifically to Cuba um, and Qatar, which are small but not insignificant. I mean, uh, you know, Billy Corbin, again, was pointing out earlier today, Miami City commissioners have gotten in a tizzy and taken actions over $2,000 to a production company in Cuba. Don't think that they wouldn't get their IRAs over $100 million from inter, uh, coming into Inter-Miami FC from Qatar. Well, I, I'm prepared to be a little bit more blunt and direct about it. I think it's a disgrace and I don't think that it should happen. And what's more is I don't think Inter Miami need to take this deal. So Qatar are going to pay $180 million. But we all know that the MLS is set up. So, you know, owners are guaranteed uh, a profit. Like, like it or lump it, love or hate the MLS. That's a fact. That's why the MLS is set up the way it is. It's so it, the people running the teams are insulated from, from losses and operating costs. So I don't know why they need this money. There's a salary cap. There's all these rules and regulations about the roster. What are they going to spend $180 million on? Um, the only thing that they have to spend $180 million on is a permanent stadium. So... I think that that's why they're interested in this deal with Qatar. But the, you know what the regime stands for and everything, you know, is is, is reprehensible. We're in the twenty first century. 
Um, I, I think seeing that team running around with Qatar on the front of their shirt would be would, would be terrible. Um, and I don't know why they need to do it. Fort Lauderdale have already said, you know, when we've made this deal, having Qatar on the side of the stadium, it's not just me that thinks this is a widely held opinion. I'm not just coming up with this, not an angry man yelling at a cloud. It, for, for, for me, you know, into Miami have, have had all these like, you know, buzzwords about things they stand for. So then to turn around and take $180 million off a, you know, a, a regime that is, is really not very nice, just to put it simply. As it would, I think that's why the, the shirts are leaked again. I think they're testing a water. Like, how bad will this reaction be? Oh, it's going to be really bad. Oh, well, we'll put Royal Caribbean on the shirt or Publix on the shirt instead. Um, <laughs> some people would probably still be upset with Publix because you can't keep some people happy. But there's a massive <laughs> difference between that and you know, and putting Qatar and what that stands for on the jerseys. But then, for some people, it won't matter at all. You know, it. it I mean, it is sports washing, and sports washing is a thing. And it happens in other leagues, and it happens in other sports. And, uh, you know, Beckham has a long-standing relationship with the Qataris. Um, And I think it would be a shame if it happened, and I don't understand why it needs to happen, unless these are the guys who are going to pay for the the permanent stadium in Miami, wherever it may be. Because I don't think the other investors have got the, uh, the pockets for it. Yeah, I think that I, I'm being, I'm being indirect. I guess is you know Lee, you were saying you were being a little bit more direct about. It. I don't disagree. The reason I'm being a little bit not as forward pressing on it, I get, and you can hear like I'm trying to like dance here a little bit, is the the horse is out of the barn a little bit about, like you said, sports washing is a real thing Mm -hmm. and it has been a real thing. And pretty much every sporting entity has eaten at that trough. Whether you look at the sport itself with FIFA, uh, FIFA and Qatar airlines have a relationship. You look outside of sports, you look outside the middle East and you look at the relationship between China and the NBA and what a catastrophe that became earlier in the season with the, you know, the comments from Daryl Morey about Hong Kong and how that exploded into a, another geopolitical firestorm. It, it becomes difficult to put your hands and kind of wrestle with this because the, 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 the capitalistic nature of modern sport, uh, you know, if you've seen the show, the good place, the idea that it becomes harder and harder to be good in a more complex world because there are all these things, uh, you know, underneath and, and around you that you aren't necessarily choosing to deal with directly, but still kind of come from bad places. And I know I'm like taking this into like a freaking, uh, <laughs> communist manuf- manifesto corner for a second. I don't mean to do that, but it, it's, it, it, it's complex to exist in the modern world and not have some sort of entanglement like this. I do think there is a difference between navigating these waters and diving into these waters. And I think plastering Qatar airlines on the front of your shirt is definitely a head first dive. Um, but it, it, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say it's the way of the world and just well, kind of throw your hands up and quit. Well, but in a way, in a way, Matt, you, you're right. And I think that they can easily point to, to whether. I think it would be a storm, but I think it will be a storm that goes away. And we're sort of used to that in South Florida. 
a hurricane blows through, causes all this damage, and then we sort of go, okay, like you say, throw our hands up and get back on it. And, you know, the, the, uh, I was going to use a word I don't want to use, but the, the ace in the ace in the pocket of, uh, of this organisation is Jorge Mas. And Jorge Mas has this cult of personality in South Florida where the largest demographic in this city will say, well, if it's okay with Jorge Mas, then I'm okay with it. And and the, that's the that's the way I see it. I think that it can be sidestepped if Jorge Mas is like, these people want to come and invest in our area, they're our friends. Then there's quite a lot of people who will say, okay, that's good enough for me. Let's take their money and move on. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is kind of ironic. Um, you know, uh, Jorge Mas's father, Jorge Mas Canosa, uh, such an enormous figure in this community and who wielded so much power in this community and, you know, in Washington, D.C. as well and could really direct attention uh, of folks inside and outside of South Florida about issues related to Cuba. This is kind of I don't, I don't want to say well, yeah it's, it can it can potentially be a bit of an awkward predicament uh, to be found in you know it's it's kind of a an interesting situation uh, you know a, a bit of a pickle to to kind of wrestle with God I sound I sound so wishy washy and I I don't mean to sound that way I think this presents more problems than solutions for the club I think the club needs investment just like every club needs investment. I think they plan on building a giant complex in Miami-Dade County that's going to cost a lot of money that they're not going to get public financing for. And so cash needs to come from somewhere. And as with anyone, and especially with rich people, they would prefer it not come out of their own pockets if it doesn't have to. And I think ultimately, as you alluded to, I think that's the, you know, the Occam's razor here. What's the easiest answer to this question? I think it's that. But. I think you could also secure, considering what what kind of position this club is in from the jump in terms of its brand awareness and, and its you know power and reach before even playing a game. It's not 180 million versus zero. You know, it's 180 yeah. million versus whatever other offer you might have gotten. And is that 20 or 30 million dollars amortized over 10 years mm-hmm. going to be worth the potential? blowback you get from local politicians, local community activists, national and international community activists. Like you you got this brand sponsorship and that World Cup's coming. And that World Cup is the elephant in the room that has been squealing. It has not been a quiet elephant. Everyone knows the issues around that World Cup, the issues of labor around that World Cup, the the civil rights issues around Qatar related to that World Cup and the questions that people have. That event's going to pop up. What if it goes poorly? What if it's not a showcase for FIFA? What if it becomes uh, a public relations disaster and you've tied yourself to that ship? Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the real – removing the, the ethics from this for a second, which is not to minimize them. But even from a business standpoint, you now need to hope that an, a really external event doesn't come back to blow up. And, and I mean that proverbially. Uh because if it does, you've now tied yourself to that mast, and it could be very difficult to wrangle out from. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a conversation that people need to have. I think 
that everything within Miami, if if you sort of opposed to it, you, you get shouted down a little bit. You know, I've been a bigger fan of Overtown rather than Freedom Park. You know, I think, think the Freedom Park thing has its faults, and we were talking about that in our group chat today. Um, and, but these things can be smoothed over, and I, and I think that there's such a good feel good thing around here that they could probably smooth this over, and that's probably why Qatar wasn't a piece of that pie because, like you say being associated with something that's, you know, good and fun and happy, I think it's probably going to happen. Um, but I just don't know why they need the money. It baffles me. It, it, like, they're going to make the money anyway. It's strange. Yeah, I, I think that uh, here I'm going to put myself in the mind of the decision makers here for a second. I think what they think is that Qatar Airlines has been on the front of Barcelona. It is on the front of Roma. It's affiliated with FIFA. It makes the club look big. It makes that's, the club look like an international club. You know, there's only a few shirt sponsorships that really kind of cross that bridge and, and, and look international. And, you know... Qatar is one of them, and it it, it it could wind up being very very beneficial, but we'll 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 have to see. Um, and these questions are not going to go away. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's the that's the big uh, news. I would say off the field for Inter Miami is the shirt sponsorship. Um, we are getting closer to game day, um, official game day. Um, the club is touting uh, its kind of international reveal on March 1st, which is uh, kind of a, a public, even though the, the last friendly was was open to some of the public up there in Tampa. It, it's getting close. We are less than a month away from the kickoff of the season, March 6th, and the home opener, uh, the, the football fiesta, the festival of football, uh, the Saturday game on March 14th and the Friday game in that picture is Miami FC mm-hmm. at home against Tampa Bay Rowdies. And uh, I, I wouldn't say a ton of news for Miami FC. They're really kind of settled in and, and going through the motions of training and getting that mach- kind of machinery back up and running under the leadership of Nelson Vargas on the field now. And uh, uh, Paul McDonough stepping up, uh, Paul McDonough, <laughs> sorry, Paul, Paul Dalglish, uh stepping up into the boardroom. Um, you know, I, yeah, I know too, too many Pauls uh, had a chance to speak with Paul uh, on Tuesday. Um, Miami FC hosted a watch party at Brews Room uh, in Westchester uh, for the uh, Champions League matches that were going on, in particular the Liverpool match. Uh, so getting a chance to check out the game a little bit with Paul was fun. Talked talked a little bit about the team, uh, about Liverpool, and then talked a little bit about Miami FC as well. And it's, it's very interesting to see uh, this club is in such an interesting position, Lee. It's had so much success in the leagues that it's been in, but this is a whole new challenge. Yeah, it almost feels like we're on Miami FC 3.0. In, uh, in what four yeah. four short years um, you know you're right there's not been a lot of news out of the camp once I think the last signing was uh, Sebastian Velasquez um, on the roster and then that was a roster set and now it's just about preparation for them they had a couple of friendlies behind closed doors mixed bag a loss against Minnesota and then uh, I think it was uh, a tie with uh, with short halves against uh, New York City FC but you can't tell much from preseason friendlies just like with Inter Miami losing 2-1 doesn't really prove anything until you start playing competitive games you don't know um but i i think you mentioned it there about uh the watch party it's encouraging to see 
the the change in tack from the club and the repositioning of it as like you know we're a community club that's here to stay and uh, and, and doing things with the kids doing things in the community around FIU around Ricardo Silver Stadium um it's it's what they need to do it's like we just we 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 just need that base of five or six thousand people who are going to come to the games and and keep building it up bit by bit you know yeah for sure and you know again we we've, we've talked about it uh, ever since the announcement that the team was going to be playing in Fort Lauderdale that there was an opening and an opportunity here and, and it really seems like the last two years or whatever like these two sides have kind of gone to their 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 corners and have just been trying to kind of figure out where they are and it's like we're back to square one and, and also had, Matt sorry to interrupt your flow there obviously sure. we've had the cast ruling as well so you know uh, yes for, for, which will for, for, for people who don't know like obviously Ricardo Silva from Miami FC and um, Dennis Crowley from Kingston Stockade brought the, the suit for to start the conversation about should FIFA require the USSF to implement ProRail and we now know that answer is no and I think that they probably knew that answer a little bit before and I think that's what's given this little USL push and um, and now we have that Division 2 status it's time to start building it back up again so, you know it's uh, it's that old American saying it is what it is now and I think that they're <laughs> doing all the right steps both these teams are doing the, the right steps both Inter Miami are doing the right steps building it up getting playing in Fort Lauderdale rather than waiting and waiting and waiting to get something going in Miami and for their part Miami FC are like okay back to basics back to bread and butter back to like families and kids in Doral Kendall you know all those areas around there South Miami um, so both teams are sort of doing the right thing aren't they uh, yeah, and I think both teams realize who they are, mm-hmm. and both teams realize what they're shooting for, and it's not, it doesn't take a single thing away from the competitive nature of Miami FC. I think they are circling a date on the calendar, and it's the game that they could potentially have against Inter Miami uh, in the Open Cup. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there. This is not. 1974 and this is not 2001 there is enough uh there are enough bodies and enough dollars to support two teams in this marketplace i mean it's it's 12 bucks to go and watch miami fc if you and you'll be able to rock rock up there on the day you don't have to worry about i don't mean this is a negative thing but you don't have to worry about selling it out because twenty thousand people are going to go and watch Miami FC currently at Ricardo Silva Stadium. So you can think, you know what? I fancy to go watch some professional soccer today in Miami. Um, i got 12 bucks in my pocket and there will be a market for that. Just as there will be a market for people, I must watch the highest level soccer at any price. It's not at any price. 35 bucks for a single game to get <laughs> into Miami for general admission. You know, it's still a good deal. Enjoy it. But, you know, there's... There's something there for everyone. This is a diverse part of the world, Matt. We keep saying it, don't we? And there's room for all these teams. There's possibly room for three or four more. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, looking at uh, USL Championship, just looking at the 2019 numbers, 36 teams. You you go to the median. You go to the middle position, 18 and 19. North Carolina FC and Fresno FC. Average attendance through the season, 4,000. Mm-hmm. Miami FC drew that in NASL. And there were, there were you know, sometimes jokes about people with attendance, particularly on rainy days and things like that. But that club drew 4,000 people a game when it was at Ricardo Silva Stadium. And, and so, I worked out the average and it was more like 5.5. 5. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like they 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 were consistently over that and number. It was consistent. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, you know, you 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 get there, you get five thousand in that stadium. You're already in the top half of the league, and Miami FC, you know, are not keen on doing things that are just you know top half. They're shooting for the tippity top, and that's a, that's a high mountain to climb in USL because there are mm-hmm. a few teams that draw tremendously well. But yeah, you you know, you you build up, and what Miami FC needs is consistency, and it is the one thing that they, the only thing they've been consistent in is winning. But everything else around mm-hmm. them has been nothing but. Uh, you know, again, that Category 5 hurricane blowing them here, there, and everywhere. They finally get a little bit of consistency. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And that's what USL gives you. That's that's the strong point of it. Yeah. And so now they, again, can they are fighting in a marketplace for dollars. They're fighting in a marketplace for eyes and attention. And, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where this team stands come September and October. Well, talking about um, winning, Matt. Talking about Matthew Bunch. Talking about winning, the the youth teams and good, this is a big part of what they're doing. The youth teams have been uh, have been blowing up a little bit. Uh, it was it was the Western Cup um, this weekend over the long weekend, and I think uh, uh, the, the Miami FC under thirteens won their category. The Miami F sixty the Miami FC under sixteen girls won their category. Uh, the under tens um, won their category. You know all these like age groups that are setting up. You know, and this is this is a great route for these kids. You know, and some of these kids maybe I hate to say it don't have the the means to get into some of the elite pay to play academies in in Broward County. You know what I mean? They're, sure. They're, 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 there's another route for these guys to come up, and that's one of the important things about Miami FC. And so the kids have been winning, the ladies have been winning, so that's uh, that's a good start. Yeah, and and the Western Cup really is a prestigious uh, lower level youth tournament down here, and and so having Miami FC kind of come in and 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 really do a solid job of of doing so much winning, it is another area of competition for the club, not only in terms of seeking to win at its level, but also at that youth level, they're going to be going head to head with Inter Miami over and over and over again in things like this. And so being able to go to the, the, the very young developmental programs in South Florida and say, we go to the Western cup and we win. We, we bring home these trophies. We, control South Florida. Um, that's, that's a really good thing to be able to say. And you build up your academy, all of a sudden you become a significant player, not only in terms of USL, but in terms of, of, of producing and sending players in their pathway to higher levels in their pathway to other countries in their pathway, wherever they may go. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's definitely, again, it's something that Paul Dalglish has echoed and, and I've mentioned it before too. It's really, I think the, the, the only way forward for Miami FC and it's the way they are absolutely tacking towards, which is the academy is the club and the club is the academy that it has to be a top bottom approach where everything is integrated, where those, uh, those top level players playing in, at USL championship, are working with reserve players and all those players are working with the youth players. Everything has to be integrated because having that at Inter Miami is going to be difficult. Miami FC needs to emphasize that. And I think it has definitely been uh, the first and foremost area of focus for Paul Dalglish. And it, it's been for more than a year um, since he really kind of got his teeth in, into the club and has been able to kind of uh, shepherd it forward. 
Yeah, and uh, he, he's putting his mark on the club, and uh, that's a good thing. Talking about community engagement, I had the chance to go down uh, to Soccer Planet USA in Doral on Thursday night, and um, I hung out with the uh, with the guys, and I got uh, I, I got I got a little bit of interviews here and there. So uh, let's play that now. Here with Mo Chow, superstar centre forward from Miami FC. Mo, is it good to be back? Yeah, it's great. It's great to be back with the squad. You know, last year we we started something special, and you know, I'm I'm glad to be back and you know try to get this club somewhere bigger than where it was before, and you know, just try to help the the club win another trophy. Um, is it different working with Nelson than working with Paul, or is it like a continuation? They're a little bit different, but I mean, we we're all going in the same path, and I think Nelson is doing a great job at you know continuing where Paul already started with the squad. You know, the style of play is the same thing as last year, and a lot of returning guys know exactly what 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 they need to be doing on the field, and you know, it's it's, it's great that you know we we don't have a lot of changes in the coaching staff. And, you know, I, I think this year will be a special one with Nelson. You're looking forward to playing in that stadium, hopefully against bigger, in front of bigger crowds and everything. Is that something that excites you? Yeah, I mean, uh, a big crowd will, you know, give the guys motivation. And especially, you know, in our own home, we, we want to see our fans come out and give us that support, that extra push. You know, it, it would be great to have, you know, fans in the in the stands. How far do you think you can go? Do you think you can go all the way to the playoffs, all the way to the playoff final and win it? Of course. I mean, we have we have a lot of qualities on the squad. And of course, I mean, if you don't believe that you can win, you 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 better off, you know, not, not competing. Good to see you back. Thanks, Mo. Thank you very much. Also here with me is, uh, how do you prefer to be called? Prince? Yeah, Prince. Prince. Well, the, the, the new Prince of Miami. And it's your birthday today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my birthday. Well, happy birthday, Prince. Um, you. Can you tell me a bit more about yourself, your background? You know, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Liberia, West Africa. And I, I used to play in Liberia. Yeah. Liberia, you just started watching soccer and fell in love with the sport. Uh, it's, it's like a cultural thing back home. Yeah, we, we've been playing soccer for so long back in Liberia. Yeah. Can you describe yourself as a player? What can the fans expect? Uh, I'm more of a, a team player, so you should you should you should expect me uh, doing more of a team job than than my own individual plate. So I'm I'm more of a team player. I think you've been a bit modest because I seem to remember you scoring quite a good goal against Miami FC in the, in the Nisa season. Uh, do you like to get forward and get in amongst the goals? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm here for to to get forward, score goals, and, and help the team out. Um, was uh, coming into Miami FC and seeing what they've achieved was that a factor in you coming here? The success and the way they play. Yeah, coming here, uh, it, 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 it was it was good. It was a good move, and the way they play, the the the, the way the organization is built, I, I think it's, it's it's good for me, and it will help uh, push my game forward. Well, we're, it's, uh, we're very thankful to have you here in Miami, Prince. Uh, thank you very much for your time, and once again, happy birthday. Thank you again, sir. All right, so uh, we're we're kind of wrapping up here. Uh, been able to hear some audio and have some good conversation. One more area of focus uh, for us, again, before we bid adieu, is there is a new entrant on the scene in South Florida soccer, and you know we love to talk about it here. We love to kind of break it down and, and tell you about it and make you aware of it. Um we have uh, the NSL coming, Lee. We have the National Soccer League uh, having its opening ceremony, its exhibition games at Kendall Soccer Park this Saturday, the 22nd, 6.30 p.m. Uh, four games going on. Uh, Red Force FC, a very familiar name in lower-level soccer in, in Dade County, 
uh, going against the Sharks. Uh, Miami Soccer the, Academy the versus Sharks, I believe, who were a very, very good outfit. Yes. Uh, Miami Soccer Academy versus the Fort Pierce Panthers. Uh, Island United versus Hurricane FC. And Miami United versus Palm Beach Spartans. Lee, that's going to be a tough one for you, I know, because those are two clubs uh, you're familiar with. But again, uh, a different area of competition. The NSL clearly trying to uh, get started with familiar uh, lower level teams. Uh, Lee, what are you looking for in terms of uh, this competition? Well, obviously... Um, you know, the, the reality here is just to come in from a different tack. The reality here is that not enough people go out and support non-league soccer. So anyone who's entering UPSL, dare I say MPSL as well, um, you know, you're making a loss. You're setting yourself a budget of this is how much it's going to cost me to compete in this season. And maybe, you know, you're, you're seeing your team in the UPSL or whatever is, you know, the pinnacle of your academy and your academy is kind of supporting the senior team. So, Obviously, the National Soccer League's tack has been we want to do uh, we want to do a competition with the teams in this areas with very very low operating costs, and so I saw I see certain parallels map with you know um, NISA versus say the USL, you, you know it's that sort of thing. It takes money to keep a soccer club running, and I think the best indicator of that is that Ireland United are in this uh, competition. Um, if you're not familiar with them, Matt, they, they're a representative of uh, Little Haiti. Uh, and they've sort of shied away from those big leagues because I think it's just the cost of entering that league. So they have this big showcase. I'm gutted. I'm going on, I'm going on holiday. I've got to get my vacation in before <laughs> before this crazy 2020 soccer starts. This is my last free week before all this soccer starts. So I'm taking the wife away. So I'm going to miss this opening uh, uh ceremony exhibition game schedule which is a shame but when you look at these teams also you know miami soccer academy you have an incredible operation of sort of shied away from these leagues so uh you know to see red force in there that's the big name um spartans and sharks that's going to be a great rivalry and hurricane fc you know they they don't do a great job of promoting themselves but they do good work and they do a good operation up there in delray beach so the teams in it, it looks like it's going to be a good competition. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the UPSL is great. There's no bigger fan than me of the UPSL in this area, but it's great that there's an option for these clubs who are operating at maybe a, even a lower budget than the UPSL to get themselves playing some competitive adult senior soccer. Yeah, I, I think that the, 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 the counterpoint always with this kind of conversation is that these league wars can be a, a bit uh, of cannibalism that that you've got interested parties kind of consuming one another but like you said Lee that you you have to you have to keep the lights on you have to keep things running and s- clubs need to adjust and and I I think that when when we saw the red force was kind of packing up and moving into this competition, that grabbed my eye immediately as, okay, one, Red Force are making this adjustment. They have been through uh, everything in terms of of keeping the wheels running and keeping a competitive team on the field. And two, the NSL knows what it's doing because getting that kind of uh, a familiar name into the fold, that's that's a really nice uh, brand to get 
on in your league and get competing. And so th- that has my that commands my attention immediately. These are exhibition games, but you'll uh, you know get competition up and running soon, and and it'll be really interesting to see where NSL winds up kind of fitting in in this larger picture. Yeah, when you look at the the UPSL, it is a great thing for South Florida. I'm not going to say anything bad about it because it, because it's great and it does a good job of doing what it's doing, and it's growing and it's growing in the right direction. But yes, you, you have to look at say. Miami Beach, Matt, who are coming into this league and they've got money behind them. And, you you know, Florida soccer soldiers, you know, I think that they have some backing from somewhere. They're very loyal to the UPSL. They're a very prominent part of this. I don't know yet where Miami Sun are going to end up, but they're a very, they're another very well-run club. And it's, it, it, it just gives another option. It just gives another option, Matt. And, and I think the UPSL is getting to the stage now where it is growing and it's outgrown some of the teams that were in it, which is a shame, but it's also a reality of football in the United States of America. Yeah, and you know, Lee, I actually want to mention because I think we've we've done a, a little bit of uh, a disservice for a club down here. We we have not talked nearly enough about Miami Beach CF uh, in UPSL, and in terms of uh, kind of high profile player that they're bringing in to attract some attention in terms of, you know, uh, Jersey design. Uh, I've been really impressed by them in terms of, of the role that they're going. I mean, to get Justin Hoyt in, mm-hmm. who is a known commodity in the soccer world into U, uh, UPSL. I think to me that that was really quite impressive. I think their Jersey designs are fantastic. I said as much on Twitter. I think the, the, the big winner is the black and the white one. Green one's good too, but man, the, the black one just looks so sharp. Um, I, I, there's, it's hard to keep up sometimes with all these things that are going on down here, you know, all these different teams bringing these different energies, different leagues, bringing different approaches. Um, it, it really is kind of a little laboratory to see what works, what doesn't, what can sustain, what doesn't, what grows and how teams adapt to that growth. There are just always so many more questions than answers in terms about how soccer goes forward. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the Miami Beach, I think there's a there's a pretty high ceiling for them. Who knows how far they can go if they can get people to start coming out to their games. That's the, the nut, nut to crack for all these teams, isn't it? But if you get absolutely if you get people excited about buying the jersey, there's enough interested people in Miami Beach. Hey, if you can get like 200 European tourists to every game, then you're starting with something, aren't you? And, and you spread, yeah, you know, like, and, and you kind of get the message out everywhere, you know? I mean, technically, technically, Matt, that, I mean, that would be my, that would be my closest club. I mean, I, yeah. Miami FC playing full-time at Ricardo Silva Stadium, and I love the club and I will never leave them, but, you know, that would be my closest club. Um, I, it's very close between them and Atletico Miami. Atletico Miami, I understand, are also staying quite loyal to the UPSL and they are moving into Curtis Park, I believe it is, which is actually very close to the proposed Freedom Park. So yes. uh, so that would be an interesting little uh, derby along the Venetian between Miami Beach and Atletico Miami. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see this, this Miami Beach team. We've known that they've been coming for a while and it's going to be interesting to see what they're actually going to do how many people they're going to get along to games and where they're going to go in five, six, seven years' time. 
Uh, it's really funny, Lee. Uh, literally just 15 seconds ago, Miami Beach CFs tagged us in a post about, uh, uh, you know, their their manager coming on board Um uh, in terms of, 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 uh, you know, who's going to be leading them this year. Of course, it's, uh, uh, you know, big, big announcement for them, uh, bring on Jose Luis Villarreal, wow. um, yeah. coach coaching Miami beach CF. Uh, yeah. Like first off creepy, cause this podcast hasn't posted yet. And it's it, like, literally, as soon as I mentioned them, it, it came up and, and they're doing a great job of social media, doing a lot of good stuff for UPSL. Uh, you know, they're, they're really going for it right off the bat. Yeah. Really trying to start off with some momentum. I, I, um, I, I met their, their owner, Tony, Tony, the Italian doesn't get no better than that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I met him at the UPSL finals. Uh, great guy made a lot of time for me. I also talked to their, uh, they're Italian signing, and he has the hardest to pronounce last name out of any last name I've ever been given. On on paper, <laughs> on paper it looks easy. On on paper, it's it's it would be Paolo de des de Segli if you were seeing it in like an English thing. But it's apparently it's more like Paolo Paolo de Segue. I've butchered it. But anyway, this this guy this guy played for Juventus. Not that he, he didn't just play for Juventus. He played a hundred games for Juventus. You know, yeah. he's, he's got youth Italian caps. He's got he's got three uh, Serie A winners medals. That's a guy who's playing a few miles away from me in Flamingo Park in Miami Beach. Matt, twenty twenty is gonna be nuts in Miami soccer. I just I, who knows where it's gonna go. It's like being on this mental roller coaster. Yeah, I mean it, it's. It, yeah, it's like I said, they're just going in so many different directions. Um, you know, you you just you you it, it, it's hard to keep up. It, it's our job to keep up, and it's hard to keep up, man, because there's so many interesting storylines to to follow and 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 pursue. It's it's just good times, good fun times, and we're gonna do our best to keep on top of all of it. Um, I think that's a good a good a spot as any to uh, set the flag down for the evening, I think, and uh, call it a night. Lee, any other points you want to bring up before we, we wrap things up? I think we've pretty much covered everything we possibly yeah. could have uh, Shout out to Christina Fisher. She won't hear this, but... Um, yes, Kay Fish. Uh, uh, Christy Fisher was uh, playing for FC Search last season and uh, signed up with uh, Sporting Huelva in uh, the, the top division of Spanish lady soccer and she she was playing against Barcelona this week in in the in the Spanish cup so um that's a great story as well going from FC Serge to Barcelona yeah Go shout I mean, out to fan- the K-Fish. Yeah, always uh, the K-Fish Hive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, strong, strong here with uh, Magic City Soccer. You know, hard to beat a local soccer player and a cane to boot uh, in my book. So, um, But I think yeah, that about wraps up. There's no more soccer in Miami to talk about. Now we've, we've talked about everything. If I, if now you say we've, that we've and as no soon as stone unturned. You know that in 10 minutes you're going to go in the, in the group I, chat and say, oh, wait a minute. No, probably, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny. We were saying, let's let's keep this one short tonight. Let's let's keep it pithy. And then, uh, you know, we, we cover everything. But there's just so much you can't you, you can't stop. So anyway, well, Lee, I'm as still, always. I'm still going from those UPSL extra time um, finals games. Of course. You, I can't stop. Won't stop. Go, go and pop another Ricola <laughs> before your cruise uh, set sail. Right. Uh, in, enjoy that well-deserved break. Uh, Lord knows you deserve it. Um, and so enjoy that. Uh, so Lee fans, uh, Lee underscore fans on Twitter. Yes. That's correct. 
So be sure to follow him. I'm at Matthew S. Bunch on Twitter, and you can find us at Magic City Soccer, Magic City Soccer on Facebook, at Magic City Sock on Instagram, and at Magic City Soccer. Um, and on SoundCloud at Magic City Soccer too, by the way, if you want to follow the podcast. And please do subscribe um, in Apple Podcasts, review us in Apple Podcasts. We don't really ask for that, but we probably should it's because, nice you do. know, yes. it is it is what you are supposed to do. Um, if you have a podcast, is like, uh, subscribe and rate. Uh, go ahead and do that for us. We'd appreciate it. Uh, leave a nice comment and we'll, uh, we'll shout you out uh, on the next episode. Um, anywho, for Lee, I'm Matthew. Uh, and until next time, let's see, what are all the teams that we mentioned today, Lee? Let's go. Look, Matt, uh, stop. We have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm wrapping everyone. up, though. Just go everyone. So, first off, uh, go Maryland Bobcats, <laughs> just for personal preference. And go everyone else in South Florida Soccer Escape because Lord knows uh, to list all of you would be too long, but you're all wonderful and beautiful. And keep on doing your thing. Get well soon, Drew.